Welcome to the Entrepreneur Cast, your source for tactical lessons in entrepreneurship from a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Demers. And I'm Sam McRoberts. And today we're going to talk about 13 technologies that will transform the future and could make or break your business. This is going to be a fun one. So I, I fancy myself a little bit of a futurist and I really enjoy digging into cutting edge technologies, companies working on interesting things and thinking about like where, you know, where are we going to be five, 10, 20 plus years out? So I think this is uh, this is going to be a really enjoyable conversation. Same. I love this, this sort of stuff. Now, I think you've done a lot more thinking about this stuff than I have, but I dabble in it and, you know, I read various websites and blogs and articles and shit. You send me, you send me stuff from time to time and, and I always look forward to, to reading that sort of stuff. So yeah, this so, should be fun. Do you want to get started? Yep. So I think, I think we're going to take the approach. There's 13 different rough buckets we're going to talk about. And so I think we're going to like name off the first and, you know, spend just a few minutes talking about each one. Maybe we'll go in depth on some of these separately in other episodes, but this is going to be pretty high level. So you're forewarned. Number one, I think the first thing we have to talk about is artificial intelligence. And, you know, it's really, it's really quite a loaded phrase at the moment. Artificial intelligence is really just, you know, machine learning, deep learning. But essentially, the idea is that we can use technology to create software that can do tasks as well as or better than a human, either across narrow specific domains or across eventually, hopefully, general intelligence domains, much like a human. So when do you think the singularity will occur, Sam? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Frankly, all right. I I don't know if it ever will. I think that we know almost nothing about consciousness. I mean, we made up a word to describe what we perceive as the experience of what it's like to be us. Like I am, I have a sense of what it's like to be me. And I call that sense of what it's like to be me consciousness. And I think we're making a very huge assumption to think that A, consciousness is actually a thing. Like we don't have any any real evidence of it other than our own individual self-level observation. And two, we can't really, you know, agree on what that's even supposed to mean, much less how to measure it. So (laughs) saying is we don't know what consciousness is, like, will there ever be a singularity? I don't know. Will we ever manage to create something via software and or hardware that can solve things the same way that a human can across multiple and not necessarily overlapping domains. Yeah, probably. But that doesn't mean it's going to be like conscious. <laughs> well, okay. Ray Kurzweil has a much more satisfying answer. <laughs> 2045 is his answer. Yeah, I know. Yep. <laughs> well, that's more satisfying than what you said. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't I don't know that it will ever occur, but I also think it's interesting. But why so why does this matter? Why would this affect your business? How is it going to affect the future? Well, artificial intelligence drives a significant portion of most businesses like right now. I mean, artificial intelligence is what underlies Google's algorithm, their search algorithm, Facebook's display ads, like they're all using machine learning, crunching through large amounts of data looking for patterns, patterns that a human wouldn't be able to spot. And using that to make smarter decisions, display ads better, deliver better search results, amongst many, many, many other things. 
And with this, like artificial intelligence is such a loaded term. I'm just going to say machine learning. But with machine learning, data is an enormous advantage. The more data you have, and preferably clean and labeled data, the bigger your advantage. And it's why a company like Google that has, you know, one of the, one of if not the most popular web browsers in the world, the most popular phone operating system, the most popular search engine, the most popular video site, like Google has access to more data than any other company on the planet. And a close second might be Facebook. But like those two have absolutely enormous data advantages. And that I think is a threat to every other business, because if you don't have enough data to compete against somebody with more data than you, you will eventually lose out as they you know, improve their artificial intelligence offerings. How do you see AR manifesting in everyday life? And, you know, let's say, yeah, let's say in the next uh, 10 years, like 10 years from now. So 2030, what I think, what's the most common way AI is going to be pervasive in our life or will have changed it? So I think a lot of menial jobs are going to be passed off to that. So I think, you know, chat, chat bots, stuff that once would have taken a customer service agent, a human on the phone as, you know, neuro-linguistic processing gets better or as yeah, or natural language processing gets better, these systems are going to better be able to communicate with a person and sound as if they are a person and solve problems much like a person, at least within a narrow, a narrow domain. So I think a lot of customer service jobs, maybe phone rep jobs, prospecting, phone prospecting, gone. A lot of things in the realm of just like menial data crunching tasks, those are already going away. I mean, paralegals are, are disappearing rapidly. I think analysis of imagery, so like x-ray analysis, you know, artificial intelligence is as good as a human at that at this point and getting better. Lots of domains. Essentially, if it's a domain that is very narrow in scope and requires analyzing data and delivering some sort of a constrained output, I think that'll you know, most of those jobs will be gone or largely augmented by AI within the next few years. When I think about AI, one of the first sort of applications of it that is common in my own life currently is like smart speakers, you know, Alexa, sure, Siri, you know, Siri, and so on. Do, how do you see that? Do you just see them just getting better and smarter by 2030? Or do you see those evolving in, in any particular way as a, you know, as, as a, as an effect or as a, result of, I mean, of improved artificial intelligence? By 2030, I'd, surpri- I'd be very surprised if we don't each have our own personalized version of that, you know, akin to Tony Stark's Jarvis system, your own individual AI that's trained on your preferences and your data and that you interact with and that can provide you with highly personalized help and answers. That I think was, is very likely, maybe not even 10 years out, maybe five but for sure, 10. Sign me up. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Seriously. I'm in. Well, All right, uh, so it, we, yeah, yeah. I was going to say anything else you want to cover <laughs> on no, AI? I mean, we, could, we could do we a could whole episode on, on. on it, but let's, we we'll, we'll, we'll skip on. So number two, and I think a close second to this is going to be augmented reality and virtual reality. So I know Jason, you have strong opinions on, on at least VR. <laughs> Yeah, so I have I've got three different kinds of VR headsets in my house because my wife Britt she does a lot of well she's in the video game industry and so she reviews and plays games on various systems including VR. <clears throat> so I've tried the Sony VR, I've tried HTC Vive, and I've tried the Oculus. 
and I'm I'm just not really impressed with any of them right now with the state of VR. But I I do think VR has potential to be really really cool. I think that the tech just needs to get there. I think that we need to eliminate the screen door effect. We need to improve the um, sort of the HD or you know the the clarity of the, of the vision within it. Yeah. We need to improve the peripheral vision within the the systems. And we need to somehow fix the motion sickness because uh, myself included and many people get motion sickness if you are moving in the game world, but not in real life. The good so news you- is that all of that stuff is actively being worked on. And I've yeah. seen, you know, I've seen solutions for each of those pieces, at least presented and in testing. Yeah. So there's, there's that. I generally agree. And I think it's worth making a very clear distinction. Virtual reality is full immersion, right? You don't see anything in the real world. You're seeing entirely a virtual world. And that's the most prevalent thing at the moment and the thing I think that needs the most work. The other piece is AR, which is augmented reality or maybe mixed reality, as some people are calling it. And that's where you have some sort of a screen in front of you, but it's passed through. You're looking at the real world with virtual things layered on top of it. And that could be as simple as lines of text from a text message, or it could be as complex as video game characters rendered in your real world, like Pokemon Go. I actually think augmented reality will reach mass market penetration and heavy use far faster than VR really will. Even though VR got got there first, you know, it's it's taken off to a degree, but it's very much in the trough of disillusionment at the moment. But augmented reality, and I, and I think the real game changer there is going to be when Apple releases their headsets, which is scheduled for, I want to say 2022 or 2023, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But augmented reality, from my perspective, has just massively transformative opportunities because it allows you to have this ever-present layer over reality, you can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, you could be walking along and you could say, man, I'm hungry. And your AR goggles, your AR glasses throw up like the closest restaurant to you that's offering a deal that's a type of food, you know, your system knows you like, and off you go. You're watching a TV show and you're like, man, that's a nice looking jacket. And boom, your AR glasses pull the jacket out of the screen, do an image search, find the thing for sale and ask you if you want to buy it. And you're like, yes. And boom, that's it, done. It, the transaction is completed, scans your your eye or whatever to determine that it's you making the purchase, charges you, and sends it to the, the address on file. Or, you know, I could I could do this all day. I could list out thousands of ways you could use augmented reality. Yeah. And I think that I, I, I think the value is just so enormous that it's gonna change businesses left and I right. I think it will too. I, I want AR contact lenses and I know they're working on those too. So I wear contact lenses, yeah. but but if you could just have it, yeah, and sort of embedded into your vision. I, I don't know. I mean I guess the glasses would be nice because you can take them on or off at will. Contacts are a little more of a bit of a hassle and and it's like I don't want to take out my contacts and just be, you know, be blind until I, <laughs> you know yeah. until I put something else on. So maybe glasses it would be more convenient, but um, once they perfect the technology, I think that the contacts could be really cool. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I imagine it'll be like a neural link brain computer interface type thing, but that's that's still that's still further out, probably further well, out than ten years. Elon Musk is working on Neuralink. That's a brain uh, brain machine interface. Computer. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see we'll see when when we get that and to what degree. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
Well, um, yeah, let's move on to number three, which is the internet of things. This is, this is something that's really been building up for probably the last 10 plus years, but this is where you see things like your fridge has an internet connection, your toaster, uh, has an internet connection, you know, your Alexa, basically the things that didn't used to be connected to the internet are now connected to the internet and more and more things are becoming connected to the internet. Sam, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, the value, the value of this is we get an entirely new set of data and interactivity. So really the value of the internet of things is their interconnectivity. So for example, like the ring, a ring doorbell, you know, somebody shows up and drops off a package and it registers on the doorbell that somebody's there. It takes a photo, it texts it to you. So, you know, they're there or, you know, maybe a smart lock. Somebody shows up at your, the cleaner shows up at your house and you're not there to let them in and they don't have a key, but you have a smart lock. And so you can see their face on the screen, verify that it's them, hit a button and your door unlocks. You could, you know, all kinds of things. There's internet of things devices for like your kids. There's a company called, I want Owlet in Utah that makes a sock that helps monitor your baby's temperature and heart rate and a bunch of other stuff that can like send you an alert in the middle of the night if your kid stops breathing. So there's just, there's tons of tons and tons of things that are cropping up with the, the whole internet of things. But I think, you know, in the not too distant future, virtually everything will be connected in some fashion. And the data that we are able to extract from that is going to feed right back into artificial intelligence and provide, I don't even know how many opportunities, but an awful lot. Well, I think it'll provide a lot of opportunities to marketers too, when they see who's using what and where and how and when and how often. That's true. Well, yeah. we, I mean, yeah, we should probably do a whole nother episode on privacy as a counterpoint to mm-hmm. to any of this. But yes, I, I mean, who's going to own the data and how does that yeah. play into marketing and privacy and obtrusive bullshits? Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Got a lot of stuff to wade through with, the, with yep. all that. Closely tied to this Internet of Things, I would say, is number four, which is mobile medical peripherals. So it could be something like a, an Oura ring or an Apple Watch. It could be something like a, a cardio scanner. It could be a could be a device for like a mobile ultrasound. You know, they now have an ultrasound device that costs like thousand or two thousand bucks way cheaper than an actual like full-scale ultrasound machine but that plugs into a smartphone so you can use, do ultrasound you know in the backwoods of nowhere with a phone i i think mobile medical devices in particular are going to change a lot and one of the the big things they'll change is right now in medicine you're lucky if you get a very infrequent snapshot of data from somebody once or twice a year Right, you go in, you have a checkup, your heart rate and blood pressure is jotted down, and like that's it. That's your medical data. That's all anybody has. But now with these devices, you have the potential to constantly track heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, activity, and you know, with some things like these wireless constant glucose monitors, you can measure your your glucose levels, you can measure cholesterol, you can, you know, tons of stuff. And I think as we get more and more advances here, we might be able to track many, many more health metrics. You know, maybe we'll even be able to like do continuous blood tests on the fly. I don't know. I don't know what the limits of what's possible here are, but then what you get is genuinely personalized medicine. You have accurate continuous data points on a person over time. And instead of 
inferring averages from these almost useless snapshots, you now have much better data to work with to find and spot problems early and look for patterns. And I, I think that will play a huge role in like longevity and healthful longevity. By catching things earlier, we wouldn't have caught otherwise. I agree. I'm really excited as to see this field develop and I think that it's especially critical, you know, here in the midst of a pandemic, you know, that we see how when things like this happen, disasters like this, medical offices and personnel can become overwhelmed and you might not have easy access to a doctor, but what you can have easy access to is your iPhone or your smartphone and whatever device you need, you know, to, that syncs up with it and takes those measurements and gives you that data. And then, like you said, when you go to the doctor, you've got all these data points. You don't, you don't just have two in the course of a year. You've got like 365 data points to show, which can allow for much more accurate and better decision-making with regard to your health. Yeah. I mean, my hope is we'll end up with something like the Star Trek tricoder at some point. And there's people who are working on like exactly, exactly that sort of thing. But God, that'll be, that'll be cool. I want that. Me too. So number five would be self-driving cars. And I am so excited for this. I, I, uh, you know, I've, I've been, (laughs) this is probably the one I'm maybe most excited for. When when are you buying your Tesla? Uh, I'm waiting for them to come out with one that can fit a crate in it that's big enough so, for for my crate because so, I've got a I've got a dog. <laughs> so the Cybertruck, you're gonna get the Cybertruck. Uh, I don't really want a truck. Well, I, <laughs> that thing looks. I don't know, man. I, I'd have to see it again. When I saw it, I was I'm googling it right now. Like, oh, dude, it's crazy. It looks like something from Back to the Future too. But I want it. It, it looks so good. Oh like, my god, that's pretty cool. But I don't know if I want to put. Reb, Reb's my dog. I don't know if I want to put him in the in the back of an open open air truck. I mean, that crate could bounce right out unless there's a top that goes over this thing. Like a, a I'm pretty a, sure it has a back hatch or like an option. Have a canopy. I think I'm so. looking at it. God, this thing looks cool. It, it does dude, have a canopy. It's like it's like yeah. bulletproof. Uh, it, dude, it's gnarly. It's it's a beast of a it's a beast of a truck. Oh uh, well, how much is this thing supposed to cost? So oh, I, I don't know. It's, it's probably a, probably a hundred grand. Oh man. Well, yeah, may- maybe that that's pretty sick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I want, I, I want a Tesla and I want one that's self-driving and another working on that. Um, you know, the other thing that I think that goes along with this is what about like Ubers and lifts that are self-driving? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's the goal. Like Elon Musk has talked about the point at which your Tesla, when you're not using it, can be used as a, a fleet car. You know, you send it out and it picks people up and takes them where they need to go. And then and does it make keep... you money? Exactly. It makes you money. And so you can help pay for your car by having it go drive people around. Like, So, so you can have, so I could buy the Tesla Cybertruck. And I yeah. could sign up my Cybertruck with Uber. And then I could tell my, my Cybertruck, all right, I don't need you today. Go ahead and go ferry people around and go make me money, honey. That, you got it, but, you, but you won't need Uber. You know, Tesla will probably spin up their own similar service, yeah. but you'll get to keep way more of it would be my guess. So but over like, time, it pays for itself. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I so like this idea even better. Self-driving cars, I think, will be quite transformative. You know, right now, the average car is used, I want to say at best, about two hours a day, which means it's spending fully 90 plus percent of its time idle. It's extremely expensive. 
on a cost per mile basis, it's ridiculous. And, you know, our gas cars break down and require so much maintenance just because of how they're, they're put together. But a self-driving electric car could be put to full utilization because it's electric. It requires much less maintenance, much better longevity. Of course, a self-driving car, if it gets to the point where everyone's hoping that it gets, way the hell safer than human drivers. It can't get drunk. It's going to it's gonna see people that you might have missed. It doesn't get distracted. It's not typing on its phone while it drives or talking to somebody. <laughs> or, oh, yeah. I would take a self-driving car over a human driver any day. But here's the thing. I was, I was in an Uber maybe a year or two ago, with, uh, and I was talking to, the, to my Uber driver about self-driving cars, and he was adamantly against self-driving cars. Of course. And this, well, this is not because he was afraid it was going to take his job. His angle was, there's no way in hell I would get in a car with a robot driving me around that cannot be safe i would trust a person over some ai that's so see, and i'm me, the opposite i'm like yeah fuck i don't want to i don't want to i don't know who you are or what you've had to drink or what drugs you're on or whether you're talking on the phone or, or looking at your texts yeah what yeah. kind of attention to detail how many hours you've been driving how tired right. you are like look humans are humans are fallible Oh, and yeah. we ha- we have so many so many problems and so many risks. And sure, that's not to say that self driving technology isn't without risks. And there are a lot of very thorny ethical issues that have to be ironed out. Like, is your car going to prioritize you know the occupant or people outside the car? And would you ever trust yourself in a self driving car that didn't prioritize the people inside the car? And what's the what's the right way to go about that? Like, I don't have. I don't have clean answers to everything. Well, and like whose fault is it if your self-driving car hits a pedestrian, but you were behind the wheel, but it was on autopilot? Whose fault? Exactly. Like, exactly. Crazy shit. And so, and so there's, yeah, there's a lot of really thorny issues to iron out there, but I feel like the data is probably pretty clear at this point. A car is going to fuck up a lot less than a fallible human if it's well, if it's well built and properly programmed. So caveats, but. Yes. Give me and it the self-driving be- cars all day, every day. I will. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I, I think it'll just the roads will be safer. There'll be less traffic. There'll be less pollution. Um, way less traffic. Way less traffic. So much of traffic is because people are stupid. They're rubbernecking. They're not paying attention. They, and it just cascades. Yep. Yeah. Less tailgating. So, just less, less danger. Everything. Less everything. Yeah. Less bullshit. Honestly. Less bullshit. So number six, right? Go ahead, you know, a good segue from a nice electric self-driving car, clean energy. So the data at this point, I think, is pretty clear that humans have made the world a, a warmer, dirtier place. I, I don't I don't think that's up for up for rational argument. We don't know all the details. We don't know exactly how warm or to what degree the cause is us or whether or not it will self-correct. Like, yes, lots and lots of questions, but sure. To some degree or another, we have fucked up our planet and it is posing some sort of risk. And investing in clean energy is wise. And thankfully, there's a lot of people doing it. And the stuff that's being done is awesome. There's, I remember, oh God, 10, 15 years ago, solar energy started to become a a real thing and more and more people were using it. And the efficiency on these solar panels was what, like 10%, 12%. Right now they're finding, you know, they're building solar panels that have like 60 plus percent efficiency. And it's getting to the point where you can deliver solar for less than coal powered energy. And then that's not even to talk about like, like nuclear, right? 
There's companies like uh, Intellectual Ventures with their TerraPower tech for these new, you know, different types of, of reactors and fusion reactors. And honestly, out of all of the potential clean energy tech, I would say nuclear is probably the best one we could we could do. But new innovations and changes are happening rapidly in these spaces with batteries, battery capacity, battery longevity, battery efficiency, research into materials like graphene and carbon nanotubes and, and metamaterials meta and supercapacitive materials, all kinds of stuff that's transforming the way we get and deliver power. And I don't see that space slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to get, I, I want a solar roof. Uh, you know, Tesla, they used to have, I think they remerged with Solar City, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, <clears throat> and, Solar City, and they have those yeah. like, tiles or whatever. Yeah. And, and they, they will roof your house with solar tiles that are meant to be, you know, to last 30 years, just like a normal roof. And they wire it up so that your house runs on its own solar power. So you can get off the grid. And as a matter of fact, you can actually stay on the grid and sell your excess power to the grid. So you can, your, your roof can, actually make you a little bit of money, just, just like your self-driving car. So my, my goal <clears throat> is I'm going to have to replace the roof on my house in probably another, I think, I think seven to 10 years or so. I want to put a solar roof on that bitch <laughs> and I want to get my cyber truck in the garage and I want to charge my cyber truck using the solar energy that my roof provides. And I want to power everything, all my electronics and everything. I want to power my house with solar energy with the solar roof. And then I'll be completely ready for the zombie apocalypse. Nobody can fuck with me. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Sam, number seven is education. Uh, this is, this is really more in your wheelhouse than mine. So do you want to, do you want to take it away on education? Yeah. So education, I think we've seen a lot of changes in terms of how you can learn. At this point, it's very easy to learn just about anything online through YouTube, Coursera, Udemy, Udacity, Treehouse, you name it. But we're also starting to see major changes in just the general structure of secondary education. It's like Lambda School, for example, is a nine-month coding-centric school where you don't pay anything upfront and you pay a percentage of your salary up to a cap after you graduate only if you're making more than a certain amount per year. And you only pay that up to a set amount or a set length of time. So the, the school itself has aligned their incentives with the student. If we, can't per, if we can't train you well enough to make you marketable and to make you enough money, we don't make money. And that's awesome because it's completely different from the way education is now. You know, now it's just focusing on a piece of paper over actual learning, whereas that's focusing on actual learning and applicable skills over a piece of paper. Yeah, so I, I like the incentives. It's like pay for performance for education. Yeah, exactly. I like it. So, yeah, I can see that really upending, you know, the, the current system and for the better. People will get better educations because schools will be more incentivized to provide real hireable skills and traits. Exactly. And then I think beyond that, you know, tying it back in with other things like artificial intelligence, you're eventually going to get to the point where you may have a an educational trainer that's personalized to you. It can provide you with things that it ha you haven't yet learned, and it can determine when you've learned them to satisfaction and move you on to the next thing and coach you and, you know, do all of that. So instead of sitting in 
a normal classroom, which is the worst possible place for your brain, you could be learning your own way and your own speed and with this highly personalized education. Like, I hope that happens. And I think that would be absolutely brilliant. I think so too. Cool. So fingers fingers crossed. Agreed. So number eight is robotics. So I have an iRobot, a Roomba. Do you have have one of these? I don't. I've I've always wanted one, but I don't have one. It doesn't really fit with the nomad lifestyle. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We we named her Rosie. And uh, (laughs) of course you did. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And she's she's good friends with Reb. And uh, Reb is my dog. And they, they, you know, she bumps into him and, and he doesn't mind at all. But no, it's really cool. Um, you know, having a dog, we have dog hair and uh, Rosie just goes about and picks up the hair and docks when she needs to, you know, when she's low on battery. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, I, I'm into it. I'm into robotics. I want to see what else we can do with, with robots. What about you? That's cool. Same. I love the Boston Dynamics robot videos that they put out with like Spot and their their big robots. Like Boston Dynamics has created these robots primarily, I think, for like military applications, at least at this point. But these things, man, the way they can move, doing flips, navigating rough terrain, like that's some pretty damn impressive robotics. And I'll be really fascinated to see all the potential applications of those. But of more of more interest right now, initially, and maybe you don't think of it as a robot, but like drones, things like drone delivery, using a drone to bring medical supplies or your stuff from Amazon or a defibrillator, like they're using drones for all kinds of stuff now. And that I think is a very like right now change that could be huge. Using drones for last mile delivery could be transformative, especially for rural areas where it's difficult to and expensive to get a human in a vehicle to take something somewhere. Yeah, exactly. When I, when I think about how robotics will change the world in the in the near future, that's the, the number one thing that comes to mind for me is like Amazon drone deliveries and and not just Amazon, but like you said, you know, medical supplies, um, whatever have you people can get deliveries much faster um, and Amazon doesn't have to pay as much money to get that delivery to you, which may actually help reduce prices. Although um, we'll see, but I think that'd just be cool seeing a drone, you know, (laughs) fly over my house and then slowly descend and then totally gently drop a package, you know, on my little landing pad. If you go to YouTube or Google and just Google like Amazon drone test, you'll see they've already got these tests of, of the drones doing it. And it's super cool. It's it's like, dude, that's awesome <laughs> when you see them dropping off these packages. So I'm into it. Totally. The next one would be number nine, 3D printing. So I actually think 3D printing is something that, you know, at least mainstream wise is very much in a trough of disillusionment right now. But you know, quietly in the backgrounds, behind the scenes, 3D printing has been making a lot of advances, I'd say, over the last five to 10 years, you know, where it used to be printing with just shitty plastics. Now you can print in hundreds, maybe even thousands of different materials, including metals, resins, different types of, of wood, and like you, you name it. You can 3D print food, you can 3D print biological material, you can do some pretty cool shit with 3D printing, 3D printing houses, 3D printing, you know, moving mechanical things. And they actually use some pretty complicated 3D printing to make many of the parts uh, for SpaceX, for their spaceships. 
So 3D printing has come a long way, and we are we're not yet at the point of replicators from Star Trek, but maybe we're not all that far out from doing some Star Trek-esque things with multifunction 3D printers. I think particularly for food, in the next few years, we might see 3D printers that can handle a variety of, of food types, which would be pretty cool. Can't they like 3D print hearts and livers and shit now? They're working on it, yeah. They can 3D print like the scaffolding for a heart and then grow tissue on top of it. Same thing, I think, for for lungs. They can 3D print. They're 3D printing replacement hips and joints and stuff, uh, replacement ribs. Dude, it's gnarly. It's at 3D printing. They're using, uh, using 3D printing for like dental stuff. So I, I've seen a 3D print. I've seen a couple of them, you know, just people who I visited their houses or whatever, and they, they were excited to show me, you know, like, here's my, my 3D printer. But the things that they were printing at the time were like little tiny little trinkets, right? Like something made of, of a single material that's just sort of, it's not articulate, can't really move. It's just like they printed out like a little toy dog or whatever, shit like that. But, you know, where do you see 3D printing evolving to where it becomes useful? You know, and is it going to be the sort of thing where everybody just has a 3D printer in their house and, you know, maybe I buy something on Amazon and instead of Amazon shipping me something, maybe they just send me the 3D printer blueprint for it. And I just, you know, I run that file on my 3D printer and it prints out the thing I bought. You know, what do you you think? Yes, I think exactly that. I think it, you know, we'll see an entire new type of makerspace. Like there's already huge catalogs of things that people design and you can 3D print, some that are paid, some that are free. But I think we'll see a lot more of that. And I think it's, you know, it's useful right now. Like you can use 3D printing to create parts that are no longer available for different types of things. So that would, that would essentially outsource the manufacturing of of items. Sure away from companies and they would just, all they would need to do is create the blueprint and then essentially trademark or patent or whatever, you know, this, this blueprint, and then they sell the blueprint and that would yeah. enormously reduce costs for manufacturers. I think, I mean, honestly, I think you'd find that almost impossible. <laughs> like you can't, you can't really stop the pirating of, of music and movies and books. Like you're not going to be yeah. able to stop the pirating of, of 3d files, but True. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice thought. I think it will probably just democratize a lot of things. You know, being a, being a creator will become a mark of pride. Maybe some things will be paid and maybe they can only be printed by a specific type of printer that adheres to copyright protections. I don't know. I'm not sure how that'll play out. But the other thing that I think is going to be a big deal is 3D printing of houses. You know, right now you can 3D print a full house for less than 5,000 bucks and it's going to get cheaper. So, you know, if you could build really high quality housing quickly and cheaply, like that's transformative for people all over the world. Yeah. I mean, if you can print a house for 5,000 bucks, you can make a lot of houses for, you know, for pretty cheap and perhaps solve Various homelessness problems, poverty problems. Exactly. That's a big deal. Big deal. So number 10 would be genetics, bioengineering, and biohacking. And this is, again, sort of in your wheelhouse, Sam, but I can I can talk to a, a couple of interesting categories or sort of items from this category would be like nanobots. I'm really, really yeah. interested in nanotechnology and how, you know, essentially robots that are the size of cells or even smaller could be used to go in and act maybe as a a sort of an immune system supplement. Maybe they go in and detect cancer and they eradicate cancer cells smarter than the human immune system can do it already. I think that there's a lot of of potential applications, but 
then you read sci-fi or see sci-fi movies where the nanobots have turned evil or maybe they've become sentient or maybe they've hit the singularity <laughs> and now they just go in and shred everybody apart from the inside, which is sort of terrifying. The, the, the great goo <laughs> scenario. Yeah. They just turn everyone into goo because they just melt you down from the cell at the cellular cellular level. So I hope that doesn't happen. Perils, perils and promise. There's yeah. Speaking of like the cells, there's a thing that somebody thought of. I want to say back in 1998 or so, called respirocytes, and it was the idea for artificial nano red blood cells that would allow you essentially like on a single breath to stay underwater for hours or run a full marathon. You know, because of the extreme efficiency of converting oxygen in like. Dude, I hope I hope we end up with. with oh, that'd be awesome! Imagine scuba diving without having to to wear all the equipment. Yeah, right. Just deep breath, down you go. That'd be so cool. Oh, how cool! Oh, yeah. But like, there's there's so much in this space. I mean, this is really a big bucket. But things like CRISPR, you know, being able to edit and modify DNA with extreme precision, being able to eliminate you know genetic diseases is going to be really cool. Research being done into things like materials science, entirely new types of materials and compounds that we can use for superconductors, for batteries and capacitors, for for skin, for artificial bones, for all kinds of things. And then like one of my personal favorites is the field of biomimetics, which is finding things in nature and learning and adapting those for our own use. And one of the one of the interesting examples I've come across is something called Vanta Black. So Vanta Black is a, a paint or a material that absorbs. It's like ninety nine point nine nine seven percent of of light. You know, it's it's basically it's its own little like photon black hole that you can paint over stuff. And it's really cool. They've actually put it on cars and stuff, which is. I don't know how safe that would be, but it's interesting. Well, I actually but just actually- went to Google and and I just Googled Vanta Black and it it shows pictures of this car that is painted in Vanta Black and it looks very, very black. <laughs> it's very I mean, dark. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like I mean 99.997%, like that's a hell of a lot of absorption. But they, they actually got this from a butterfly. They found a butterfly whose pigmentation allowed it to absorb a ridiculous amount of light and were able to take that and make, make Vantablack. So that's, that's biomimetics, learning from nature and applying it to our own, our own things. But I, just the stuff that's being done in this space is mind-boggling. Most of the cutting-edge stuff people haven't even begun to to hear about but i think in the next not not too long we're going to start seeing this play a much bigger role in society interesting interesting well number 11 would be innovative food so the the first thing that comes to mind for me it would be soylent and if you haven't heard of that i think back in what 2013 or something sam it 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 something like that yeah so it became all the rage because when I say all the rage, what I really mean is that it it attracted a lot of media attention because it was a sort of a, a liquid formula that was developed as a it was supposed to be think of it like dog food, but for humans, where you can you can just live off of this stuff and it gives you all of the ingredients and all the nutrients that you the human body needs to survive. And they could develop it cheaply and they could mass produce it. And the idea was could we solve world hunger with something like this? And could people substitute this for meals if they're busy? 
and not worry about missing out on any nutrients that they need. Could people use this to lose weight or to to cut habits of eating too much crap, you know, and sugar and, and all the bad shit that we eat? I actually bought this because I wanted to taste it. Yeah. I was really interested in it and I bought it. And to this day, I, st- I think I still have it in, so like a, a lot of it in my pantry. It, it first came out as a powder that you would have to mix with water. And that was kind of a headache. Nobody really likes to do work to, to eat convenient food. <laughs> so they eventually came out with it in a liquid formula that was, that came in, you know, plastic bottles as, as you would sort of expect. And that was more convenient. You didn't have to add anything to it now, but I think that they sacrificed on ingredient quality by doing that. Sam, what do you know about it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard, like, I don't want to get sued for bashing it too hard, but really it's, it's got a lot of stuff in it that is not actually great for you. Oils, oils that aren't great, ingredients that aren't great, ratios of ingredients that really aren't great. And this is, you know, tying this back to like the the medical stuff, right? There is no one size fits all or even one size fits most nutrition. And attempting to make something like that in the form of Soylent, I think is extremely unwise, especially since it's, you know, it's all highly, highly processed. Like this is not fresh, high quality whole foods. This is industrial grade consumer scale chemicals mixed together. And yeah, sure, they're edible or generally regarded as safe, G-R-A-S, but is that really what you want to be sticking in you? I, I don't know that it's actually much better than a hot dog and a bag of chips. So I won't, I won't be using well, let, it. Let me ask you this at this point. I mean, for people who have dogs, cats, whatever, it's, it's pretty common, you know, many animals, many pets just, just eat the same kind of dog food every meal of every day for their entire life. And many of them are fine. I'm not saying all of them are. I know that there are many risks and, and, diseases and things like that, that come with that. But the point is that many dogs do just fine on that. Isn't the theory I mean, of Soylent that if by just fine, you mean relatively shorter lifespans and all sorts of health issues, like maybe, maybe just fine. But yeah, I don't know. Dogs do okay. But really like what, what would a dog's diet in nature be like? probably meat they're carnivores so if you feed your dog like fresh meats and fresh fish and whatnot like they're probably going to be healthier live longer have a, a better more luxurious coat fewer health problems there's a but there's a huge difference between a diet that leaves you okay and a diet that lets you be in peak performance and i think that's where like the innovative food thing might come in and there's a lot of experimentation being done. Soylent's one. I think Beyond Meats is another. There's a few other artificial meat-like companies going on. I don't know, honestly, that any of those are really any good. Again, it's all highly processed stuff. It's not maybe the best, cleanest whole foods. Yeah, aren't they like growing meat now in like petri dishes and shit? Yes. Now that's one I think that's very interesting is the idea of lab grown real meat using like cells and scaffolding and growing it out because it's it's real meat. It's just not taken from an animal. There's no slaughter needed. It doesn't have to be raised in a shitty environment or use a bunch of antibiotics. That I think has a lot of potential promise. I would I would happily try it. Not a not a big fan of the the faux the faux foods at least as they are presently available. I will say that Soylent was novel. It tastes okay. And it made me feel 
kind of, I mean, it, it satisfied. Provided a sense of satiety, made you feel yeah. full-ish. But I also noticed that I felt like I was missing something when I would, you know, just substitute meals for it. And I was just experimenting with it. I wasn't doing anything super serious with it, but I, I would feel like my body was telling me, Hey, we're missing something. And usually when I feel like that, it's, it's usually like, I feel like I'm missing protein, like meat in yeah. particular. Um, so, you know, obviously can't get meat if you're going to just drink a liquid, yeah, liquid diet. So it's, it's interesting stuff. I would say if you haven't tried Soylent, check it out. You can probably get a bottle at your, I think they sell them in like gas stations and shit now, grocery stores and Safeway. Yeah, and probably. Very surprising. Yeah, I think I see them there. But in any case, number twelve. So moving along, space mining, and this one, yeah, we're we're starting to get uh, out there, literally and metaphorically. But there are, from what we can tell, enormous potential resources, especially for like rare metals and minerals in space on the, you know, crashed into the far side of the moon on asteroids. Like there's a lot out there in space that we could make use of particularly rare metals with enormous value that if we can find a way to mine and use those could be extremely lucrative. I mean, we're talking like there's, there's asteroids out there that would be worth trillions of dollars. Granted, you know, if you actually pulled all that metal down to earth and tried to sell it, you'd crash the market. But in theory, there's a lot of resources in space and there are companies that are working on potential ways to mine those materials. The easiest of which would probably be our own moon. And I actually saw somebody on Twitter shared recently that the U S government just made a change to like some space treaty that basically says, Hey, you know, mining on the moon, fair game, go for it. So that's kind of cool. And there's a lot of upfront cost and risk and, and innovations really that are needed to make it feasible. But, you know, MoonX, SpaceX, you know, a bunch of other companies that are starting to work on and toy with this idea. Like, I think this will be, I think this will be something. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how, other than sort of getting materials, um, how this will sort of change us fundamentally as a society, I feel like it will enrich or give, give access to resources that we might not easily have access to already here. I think that's part of it. I think the bigger part will be the ability to do manufacturing in space. So, you know, the, the most difficult, the difficult, the difficult thing is getting things outside our gravity. Well, into space. It's very costly and very energy costly to take something from earth into orbit. And, if you don't have to take it outside of our gravity well, the costs associated become radically different. So if we can get sufficient resources not on Earth, we can start building things in space, and that extends our ability to you know, do other things. Go further, explore, build, like, colonize. Kind of like number, like number 13, interplanetary and interstellar travel and colonization. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we. So it's what you're saying is let's build a spaceship in space. Let's not build it on Earth and then get it into space. Sure. And you know when you're talking about like if you look at sci-fi, right? You know building building a very large spaceship and getting it off off a planet and outside of that gravity is unfeasible, if not in some cases functionally impossible. So really large structures are much better built in space. And so if we can mine for the resources there and we have sufficiently high quality 3D printing and artificial intelligence and robotics, like 
that opens up the option to travel the universe, colonize other planets, maybe starting with the moon or Mars as Elon Musk wants to do, but who knows from there. And the technology to do some of this is in development. There's still a lot of unknowns, but there's really cool shit being done here with solar sails and different types of engines and thrusters. I mean, it's a it's a pretty cool space. It really <laughs> is. Uh, yes, good one. I, I know that Elon Musk is working, you know, with SpaceX that he wants to send uh, humans to the moon. What is it, Sam? By like twenty thirty or twenty twenty five, something like that. Or, something sorry, like not, that. not no, the I mean, moon. Not I think it's Mars. Mars. Yeah. Yeah, twenty thirty something. Yeah, he wants to colonize Mars, and the whole thinking here is that look. We need to diversify as a species. We're right now all our eggs are in one basket, quite literally, because if Earth is our basket and we're all the eggs, we're all on Earth. And that means one meteor or, you know, asteroid impact or some sort of natural disaster could wipe us all out, just like the dinosaurs got wiped out. So let's diversify. Let's get out there and and start colonizing other planets and and you know, moons and other types of planetary bodies that we can yeah. that we can. Oh. I looked it up. Musk plans to send a SpaceX, a SpaceX rocket to Mars with cargo only by 2022, according to the SpaceX website, and a second mission, which would take more cargo and crew for 2024. And he has the goal to send a million people to Mars by 2050. That's ambitious. Wow. It's very I mean, ambitious. A, a, I mean, a million people. Nobody's ever accused Musk of being not ambitious. So, no, no I, you know, I'm. I will watch with great interest. Sam, would if you if you could have the opportunity to be, if Musk said, "Hey, Sam, do you want to be on that ship to Mars?" What would you say? Oh my goodness, probably. I mean, I don't know if I'd be ready to go in 2022 or 2024, but sometime before 2050, yeah, I think I might be done. All right, let's say 2030. Till you got 10 years, what would you say? 10 years left? Shit. No, see, I, don't, I would I would definitely not want to be one of the early guinea pigs. Like, I would want to get there after significant infrastructure has been built. Like, I'm not I'm not that kind of explorer, man. I want my comforts. <laughs> Same. I, I don't want to no, be I, all like Mark, Mark Watney potato. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd be like, once you got, once you all set up all the electricity and you got TV and video games <laughs> and you got exactly, a, ba- exactly. a basketball court where I can jump like, you know, and dunk on a 10 foot hoop real easy, <laughs> <laughs> then count me in. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, call it whatever, whatever point the infrastructure is there. Like, sure. Why not? I, I think we're going to be making enough advances in longevity that that's not unfeasible. So how do you see interplanetary um, colonization affecting normal life. Like, let's say that there's a there is a colony on Mars of I don't know, let's say ten thousand people. Does that affect us here back on Earth? Like, and if so, how? Like, do you what? What do you think? It's a good question, and I I don't know. I I don't know what real world effects that it would have noticeably to people who are here. I think it might have an effect on just imagination and what's possible. I think it could help people, you know, literally like reach for the stars and, and aim higher and further than they f- they thought possible. So in that regard, from like a, a psyche perspective, I think it could have an effect. But like day to day, business wise, it'll. I imagine it would also open new avenues of business, sending things to Mars, things that were made on Mars and sent back to Earth for sale, research being done that could affect people here. I think there's, I think there's some things. Yeah. Well, I will watch with great interest. I, I've talked to Bert about this from time to time. I'd love to go to the moon and 
you know, just experience it in my lifetime. And I think, I think, I think we will, she's down for that too, but it has to be safe. And I get that. And I know we've got a long way to go to take those steps, but I think that the technology that we're going to see in our lifetime is going to be really cool. And I'm excited. Agreed. And I mean, Um, all of these, right. Every single one of these is opening up a whole potential basket of new businesses and entrepreneurial opportunities, which is really why we wanted to cover this. Every business should be thinking about the future and where their current business or what their business could become fits into that picture. So this is some, some food for thought. Yeah. Sam, you watch a lot of movies. Too many, what some, maybe. What are, okay. What are some movies you would recommend to our listeners who are interested in future tech? What can they watch to, what are the next movies they should go watch? One of my favorites is Ready Player One. I think that's probably a very accurate depiction of what things will be like in terms of virtual reality in the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah. I, I thought that was actually very reasonable on that front. Transcendence is a really good one for like the promise and peril of artificial intelligence and nanoscale technology. And I think it tackled it pretty well, both in terms of what it did and its motivations and in how people responded to it. So that, that one's worth watching. I think others are kind of kind of out there. Like The Matrix, I don't know if Terminator, Minority Report, you know, a lot of those are more post-apocalyptic dystopian type. And I don't, I don't really think the future is likely to be dystopian. I think people are too generally hopeful and curious and exploratory to permit it to go like full dystopia. But who knows? I mean, I also think people are pretty stupid, so it's possible. It's true. Some of my favorites, uh, the ones you said, yeah, major thumbs up for those. I would also have to throw in uh, Deus Ex Machina, is it Machina or Machina? Machina? Yeah. yeah. And that's the uh, a, where the guy develops AI and puts it into a robot who appears to be human. And there's another one. Uh, Bicentennial Man was a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, Bicentennial Man is the story of a robot that is seems to be conscious and goes on a quest to make itself human. And in so doing brings about enormous changes in like artificial medical technology that leads to extreme human longevity and maybe potentially immortality, which is a really, it's a really interesting, interesting take on the future. Another really interesting one is called surrogates. Have you seen that one from 2009? Surrogates with Bruce Willis. Yes. So that, that one people essentially, they live in isolation and they sort of interact through surrogate robots, which are that, so it's it's like their avatars that go out and interact with each other. Meanwhile, their their actual bodies are sort of just home, you know, getting getting old and fat and and weak in their little pods where they're controlling and living their life through these surrogates. It's very interesting. I mean, with all the pandemic stuff in light, maybe. Yeah. Another one that comes to mind is her. Have you seen that one? You know, I never actually finished it. I found the movie very slow and kind of just, just not my not my speed. But the the technology and the interaction with a digital artificial persona, I think, was likely. Yeah. What what stood what stood out to me about that movie was that the 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 main character falls in love with his AI companion. Who it's like it's like in his phone. And I forget her name, but the voice acting is done, I think, by Scarlett Johansson. And 
it's fascinating to me because I, I think that's real. I think people can and do fall and will fall in love with their AI companions as AI advances. And sure. I mean, love's, love's a chemical, right? Yeah. Like it's a chemical, a chemical process in your brain that forms a, a, a deep attachment. And really, like you can form that deep attachment with all kinds of things, animate and not. And this movie, I think, as I watched it, I just remember thinking, yeah, this this could totally happen as AI advances and it and AI begins to pass the Turing test, which is where people can't can't tell whether they're chatting or talking with a human versus AI. As we reach that point, we will develop relationships that will extend into love, uh, you know, actual love and emotional relationships with AI. And I Agreed. think it did a good job of depicting that. So that's that one stands out to me. Cool. Well, that's I mean, that's it. Those are our those are our thirteen technologies. Handful of movies you could think about watching that could help you explore that. I mean, Star Trek probably like TV wise. You know, Star Trek does one of the best jobs all around of looking at future technology and future societies and different ways of doing things and running things. So I guess that one deserves a nod. But I think that's a good place to tie it up. This has been yeah. a long one. It has been, but it was this. This was a really, really fun episode. It's fun to think about the future and and what what it might hold and the things we might see in our lifetimes. And as entrepreneurs, like you said, Sam, it's good to constantly have an eye toward the future so that you're not caught off guard by some of these things. You can, if you can think ahead and plan ahead, you can be like Elon Musk and you can get ahead of the trends before they're the trends, and you can be the first ones to them. Yes, and I would I would say that the biggest opportunities lie at the intersection of some of these things. You know, when certain things become available and begin to overlap, that's where really big opportunities are going to be found. Agreed. So thanks everybody for listening to this long episode. We hope you like it. We'd love to hear your feedback. And so if you want to shoot us a tweet and let us know what you thought about this sort of this discussion, we'd love to hear from you. You can also shoot us an email at theentrepreneurcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you like what you hear, leave a review and a rating and share it with your friends and come back for more Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yep. We'll see you next time. Thanks guys.